0: Well, welcome everyone on this free day weekend, this 4th of July. Uh, as you know, as you can see, many of our, in fact, the majority of our congregation seems to be away, so... <laughs> So bless you, the faithful remnant. Welcome, visitors. It's great to have you guys with us. Um, but the Lord is present wherever two or three are gathered, and I'm encouraged by the gospel readings here uh, because I think it's a word for us in season, particularly the, the Galatians passage is what I want to focus on. Let, not us, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You know, this is the end of the book of Galatians. This is Paul, the beloved apostle, the faithful pastor, and he's exhorting them with this final exhortation about not giving up, about not being weary, about don't let the... It's not, actually, he's saying, it's not that he's concerned that people are weary, because we're, we all get weary. It's more that don't let that take you off the course that God has for you. And I just wonder, if you think about that just as a, a beginning thought, can you think of a time in your life where you just felt really exhausted, really tired out? Like, if, if I was going to define weary by an episode in my life, that's what it would be. You have something in mind. and not have to be super, super heavy. Uh, when, I, when I asked myself that question, I, I thought of the, the first time I was deeply aware of it was senior year in high school. Uh, towards the end of my first semester, when they say it's really serious that you, you, you get good grades so that you can actually get to the college that you want to get to. I'm like, oh, okay, so that's what they mean by that. Finally, the, the connection is formed between studying, studying hard, and, and getting the grades that you need to. And so I am studying a lot because frankly at that point in my life I'm a little behind, or at least that point in the semester. I'm studying a ton. I'm literally burning midnight oil. I've got the dreaded math test the next day and I'm just growing weary. I've had one too many problems or formulas stuck into my head. Like, Lord, you invented this. I mean, Actually, Isaac Newton, you had him do it. So these are things that, that that are going on and I just don't want to, I don't know how I'm going to get through it quite honestly. I'm I'm starting to feel like this isn't going to end very well. And then I remembered, you know what, my parents drink coffee. And if I start drinking coffee, or at least just have my first cup, that might actually help. I hear that it keeps people awake. (laughs) And this would be a good time to stay awake. So down I go to the kitchen and I open, I get Back in those days, it was a jar of coffee, and it wasn't anything nice. I've since upgraded. I'm a lifelong coffee drinker. I've upgraded to really reasonable beans and all that. But back then, it was they called it freeze-dried. Some of you, this might be taking you back. But I make a pot of the coffee, and I take it up to where I'm studying, pour myself a cup. I'm alert. I am—I, You know, the, the numbers aren't fuzzing anymore. I'm actually able to make connections. I'm doing the things that you're supposed to be doing when you're studying. I was like, thank you, Lord. I plow through the whole night without a wink of sleep, and I don't care. This is fantastic. I hit the the exam room the next morning at 8.30. Done. This is good. I actually end up, the test passes, so that's good. But I'm awake for 36 hours (laughs) as a result of this. I'm like, whoa. Um, So that was my first experience of really being weary, And that was probably my first experience with trying to solve that weariness with my own artificial means or as they used to be known, artificial stimulants. I say that again because Paul is using actually to encourage the Galatians and therefore to encourage us today. He's using a farming metaphor, farming analogy. He's saying, don't don't grow weary. Don't, Don't grow weary in doing good because at the proper time, We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's so powerful. He wants the Galatian church to continue to do what God has called them to do, which he's calling the harvest. We'll explore that in a little bit. And he is using that as motivation so that they don't give up because we all are weary. And so I want to look at that in kind of a three-part movement here this afternoon. Just to look at, well, what does it mean by the harvest? Paul, Paul is saying, if we keep our eye on that, that is supremely motivational, as indeed it should be. And it, hopefully after we see what he is trying to get our direction, our, our mind focused in the, in the right direction, then we have to ask the question, well, if, if the harvest is so cool, why is it that we're so tired? And then finally, the third piece of it is, well, what do we do about that? So, why, you know, what's, what's great about the harvest Given the fact that it's really great and cool, why do we get tired? And then what are some of the things that we do about it? So when Paul is talking about the harvest, he is talking about the sense of what, you know, as, as Christians, when we carry on in our life in Christ, it will produce a fruit. It will produce a result. It will produce um, what God has always intended us to produce. You know, Paul writes to the Ephesian church around the same time, he writes to them and he says, you know, God, you've been chosen to do good work since before God made anything, in anything in all creation. That's part of the harvest. The harvest, I, I come from a, a background where the harvest was often located in just seeing people come to Jesus. And I would say, yes, that's right. But, but the har- that's just the first step. That's like having a baby being born. You're like, that's great, but the baby doesn't. you don't want the baby to stay a baby. You want the baby to mature and to grow up. And so Paul writes to the, to the Colossians, and he says, we, we make it our aim, we make it our goal to present everyone fully mature in Christ. So when Paul is talking about the harvest, he's talking about the result of a life lived entirely in the power, in the authority, in the love, in the blessing of Jesus who died for us. And when we are living that life, you know what happens? We start to influence other people. People start to see us and they say, hey, you're different, you're changed. When you came to faith, did you, did you start doing some different things? I did. You know, I was more aligned with who God is and, and the things that he said were important and less aligned. When you get aligned with God, you get less aligned with your own agenda. You get less aligned with the things that that you think you needed for your life. And now you're saying, I don't honestly know what I need for my life. Jesus, you know what I need. And I just want to follow you. I trust you. You can see around corners. You can see through time. You know the good works that you've planned for me in advance to do. I don't know them. And so I need to to be in you and with you and to experience your Christ-likeness so that the harvest that you have for my life, which is eventually to be with you in eternity, fully mature, is used in the lives of other people who need that as much as I did. That harvest that Paul is talking about is meant to be the vision for the Christians, the vision for the Galatians. No vision if you do any kind of reading around You know, business or management, vision is often described as a picture of the future that inspires passion in the present. What is that vision that we have for our lives? What's the vision that we have for Holy Trinity? We do have a picture of the future, hopefully God-given, that should inspire passion or activity in the present. But vision is meant to be a power. It's meant to be something that keeps us on track. It's meant to be something that's just such a part of our lives. I remember some of you know my story that I spent 18 years in tech before I came into ministry. And I can remember the last company I worked for was a relatively new company, kind of had that startup mindset. And I can remember the, I literally like got hired and then we were all on a corporate trip for a meeting to talk about what we were going to do and planning. And we had to take a red eye from the West Coast to the East Coast and I'm, I'm looking around, and you'll know, you get on the plane at 11 at night or 11.30, it's two in the morning, it's three in the morning, and all my colleagues are talking, and they're talking about the business, and they're talking about the opportunities, and they're talking about the product, and they're talking about market share, and they're talking about new ideas that they could do. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, this is really cool, I thought this was amazing. I'm brand new, so I've actually got nothing to talk about. So I'm just watching this and looking around and thinking, this is impressive. This is really interesting. Usually when I'm on a red eye, I'm like flat out. Time to go to sleep so I can be fresh in the morning. But I was so impressed. Why? Because these guys had the vision for what the company could become, which is why they joined. Paul is putting out that vision of the harvest to the Galatians to keep them on track, to keep them motivated. A picture of the future that helps them stay focused in the present. And he wants them to know, so that's his vision, but he's concerned that just moving forward in that is wearying. That's his word. It's tiring. It's exhausting when we're really honest. Why is it that when we have such a vision like this, there's a sense, it, 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 it feels at times really tiring. Like it should be should be like all the all my colleagues in the plane. We're not tired. We're talking. We're having fun, and we're 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 planning. And we're we're engaged. That that's all part of it. But let's be honest. When you get to that place of really pursuing those goals, it gets down to pretty pretty mundane stuff. And then you get headwinds. You get opposition. You know, there's a life cycle of a of a project at work, or there's a life cycle of an organization. When you're first starting, you're you're so pumped up, and you're like, "This is great." The 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 uh, The vision is magnificent, the confidence level of success is high, the camaraderie is brilliant with all the people that you're doing this with, But then you start to meet opposition. And then it's harder than we thought, and it's taking longer than we planned, and it's costing more than we had originally budgeted. And all those great, you know, people that were alongside of us are starting to... Offer opinions that are different than ours, and be a little less cooperative, and maybe they're being discouraged, and that sort of radiates throughout. You know, in my old church, this would be the time where people start saying "Amen's." But I know this is resonating. You know, there's some "Amen's" out here. This is this is just what happens. But but for us who are part of the family of God, there are particular things that happen that cause us weariness and discouragement. One is just the basic uh, opposition that comes from the enemy. There is a devil. He doesn't like the kingdom of God. He does everything he can to thwart it, to change it, to inhibit it in some way. Um, And we just need to take stock of it, not to be overly concerned about it, but just to be prayerful that the Lord would give us wisdom, protect us, help us to be refreshed. Sometimes we're feeling opposition because when we're really honest, we look around, we, we we realize that what we want in life isn't necessarily what God wants. We might belong to him, we say yes to him, we say, Lord, I I love you, I need you. But when we're really thinking about it, we think, but I, I really love you and need you because I want you to do this one thing for me, whatever that one thing is. And sometimes when that prayer isn't answered, we can think we need to be aware of that perhaps that's really our desire and not God's. Or at a minimum, it's our timing that we're holding him to. And we're not allowing his timing to bring it and unfold it. A third reason we can experience weariness is we try to do what God calls us to do in our own abilities, in our own strength, in our own ways. Um, It's his idea. We know we're following him, but we're just trying to do it ourselves. Think of Martha instead of Mary, for example. Think of um, and we all try to do this. We think, have you ever uh, come to a task and you think, you know, I got this. You know, God's given me time. He's given me talent. I, I, got, I got it. And then things don't go according to the I got it plan. And you're thinking, oh, Lord. And, and instead of giving it over to him, we get a, a true you know, confession, a time when I start to feel resentful about something. It's like, oh, that's my tip off that I'm actually doing something in my strength. That that's, yeah, that's me just trying to do it my way. And resentment is actually a gift of God as an alarm system that tells us something needs to change, something needs to be replaced. We all have smoke alarms in our, in our homes, hopefully. Uh, when the battery starts dying, it starts making a beep, which says it's time to change the battery. And the beep gets louder and it gets more frequent until we change. That resentment is a little bit like that beep because if we don't make the change, what resentment return, turns into is actually bitterness. And bitterness, resentment if, uh, resentment is a, is a weed. Bitterness is a root. A weed is easy to pull, but, but a root is hard to get out. And so we want to, before things get worse, because why, why is Paul so concerned about the weariness? Why is he? He wants us to be focused and, and living our lives in accordance with the harvest, but he knows that we grow weary, and he says he doesn't want us to give up. The, the only reason that we don't reap a harvest is if we give up. He's not calling for perfection, he's calling for faithfulness. There was only one perfect human who walked the earth that's Jesus. So I actually take great comfort in that. <laughs> you know, it's not an excuse to you know, not be in the Lord or not pick myself up when I know that I've just been doing my own thing because it's actually God is picking me up and saying you know what, let's go again. Let Don't give up. There is a harvest. There's a way that your life is being used for time and eternity. There's a way that your life is being used that glorifies me. There's a way that your life is being used that blesses other people. But what, what the Spirit tells me in that way, for me personally, is that it can be say, said of each one of us. And that's amazing. And the only reason it doesn't get said is if we give up. But God's not going to let us give up. So let, let's get to the, the third piece of it. So the harvest is our vision. We grow weary for a variety of reasons, oftentimes because we're misaligned with what God wants. We're using our own strength or we don't desire what God has for us. But he doesn't want us to give up. So how do we keep going? And Jacob read the passage, the verse eight that he read says this, whoever sows to please their flesh from that flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the spirit from that spirit will reap eternal life. So how is it that we keep going? We keep going by sowing to the spirit. Paul's back in that farming analogy again. It's like, okay, if we sow to the Spirit, we're, we're putting our mind and our efforts and our heart, all that we are, into the things of the Spirit, into the things of God. We're saying, Lord, um, I, I want to listen to what you say. I want to understand who you are. I want to understand what your word says about me. That's sowing to the Spirit. Because otherwise we sow to the flesh. To sow means to invest in, to, to plant seeds in, to that's where you want things to grow. We don't want our flesh to grow, which is the way we were before we were in Christ. We want the Spirit in Christ to grow in us. That's sowing to the Spirit. Now, how do we do that? I think that practically, and one of the reasons I appreciate about the Anglican expression of faith, is the emphasis on regular rhythms of spiritual practice. It's not exclusive to the Anglican faith, so, uh, but it is something that's inherent and specific. It's something that has helped define and shape it. And so by that I mean taking in not only the Word of God. You heard what, what you were hearing earlier today with four people reading the Scriptures, the Old Testament, and the Psalms, and the New Testament, and the Gospel. That's, that's taking in the Word of God. That, that's saying, Lord, each of those parts of your Bible speak to us in different ways and, and for different reasons. And they all agree in some part. You'll see that there's themes to that. But taking in that Word of God in that way is a part of that rhythm. Or prayer rhythms. We do a daily office, and that's important. A daily office is like, in the morning, I'm going to have this time of prayer, time of looking at scripture, time of confession, time of praising God, all through the book of common prayer. And then some people do that again in the evening, right around five or six evening prayer, then maybe a little bit later before they go to bed. What that does is allow us to stop and pause and to specifically invite Christ into our day. What it does is to say in a knowledge in a very tangible way, Lord, I can't do this all myself. Sometimes the most powerful things we can do for our lives and moving forward in the calling that God has for us is just to stop and to rest and to say, Lord, I'm just going to be in your presence. He is more than capable of taking care of all this stuff. I don't need to send one more email. I don't need to, to Send one more text. I don't need to solve one more problem. So being in those rhythms. A rhythm that I'm trying to build more into my life actually is the, the rhythm of rest. Scripture, prayer, but what about just plain old rest? What about just taking some leisure time, taking some, do something that is priority C category, priority D, It's not in your A list. It's not in your B pile. It's just something that gives you joy. That's important because, again, I think that just allows God to work. And if the Lord rested on the seventh day and he commanded a Sabbath rest for his people, I think we would be wise to think, Lord, you know, I think you've made people to appreciate the limits under which we live. And rest is a part of that. So we keep going by sowing to the Spirit. We, and practically speaking, that looks like rhythms of rest. You know, if we would do that more and more, if we would see the harvest that is before us, the weariness that does come and afflict us would be, would be there and we would be able to look at how to deal with that through sowing to the Spirit. If we do that cycle, if you will, you will see God do, I think, things that, as Ephesians says, we've not asked or imagined not only in, in our lives and in the other circles that we have, work circles and friend circles and where we live and uh, that, but also in the life of this church. There is a harvest for Holy Trinity. We're, we're already seeing God use us in certain ways and locally in care and compassion in the community, in the lives of one another through the small groups and our opportunity to be together here on a Sunday. Each and every time that we gather God is up to something. Each and every time that we're gathering, he's furthering his plan for who we are and what he's doing and how he's building us. And frankly, that is a really cool vision. And uh, it's one that is also, as you know, because most of you guys are all helping to do all this stuff, it's also tiring and it's also weary and Sundays come each and every week and like, oh my goodness, here it is again. But you know what? He'll help us and he does help us. He allows us to sow to the Spirit he allows us to hear his words of affirmation, his words of confirmation. He allows us to see the fruit of lives that get impacted. Kids that are raised in the faith, adults that find community, puts the lonely into family, says Psalm 68. We, don't, we can't imagine all the things that he's intended for our time and this place of being, at this time of what he wants Holy Trinity to do. But it is intentional that we are where we are near Stanford. It's intentional that we are in the Silicon Valley, offering up a a life in Christ to a community that had to an area that just has so many other ideas about what life is about and how the best life is supposed to be lived and all that. We just want to be his faithful community of men and women, brothers and sisters. And I pray that as we do that, we feel the power to keep on going for the glory of Christ. We know that he gives us the ability, the power that comes from his Holy Spirit. And if we don't give up, we will see a harvest. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the sermon podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.